You're listening to And hey everyone, welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club episode 54. Welcome to May. It's May 2021. It's Asian Pacific American Heritage Month 2021, the best time of the year. <laughs> My name is Marvin Yeh. Joining me to celebrate all the good pop that gets us through our days and APAM 2021, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian American Just Jew. Yeah, it's like being in Black Friday, but like every single day for the entirety of May. That's no. what AAPI Heritage, APOM, whatever you call it. We can't even decide on what it's called as a community. That's cool. <laughs> Someone asked me and I couldn't tell them. It just depends. It it's, depends. It's actually like working retail at Black Friday for a month for people like us. Mm. Yes, it is a lot. It's like there's a lot of like shirts being unfolded and like jean stacks being strewn around. And that <laughs> like that's where I metaphorically am. Yeah, you just um, you're fresh off a APAM event as we're recording tonight. We had to push our recording back an hour. To I have an APAM event every single day this month, <laughs> Marvin, like weekends included. I'm speaking on. I mean, it's cool that like people are like engaging, but like we exist outside of May, guys. Yeah, but we don't exist out of May. <laughs> Do you remember when we only had APAM events on weekends? And then this pandemic hit. And then all of a sudden, every day is APAM because of well, virtual events. Last last year was pretty chill because I think it was like soon enough mm-hmm. from like the start of lockdown. Like everyone was still figuring out what was going on. I remember like early in lockdown, there were people like very hesitant to like engage with Zoom because of security risk. And like <laughs> now no one gives a shit. Like take yeah. my data, China. I've downloaded <laughs> TikTok. Follow me. <laughs> I think it also like low key is the algorithms too strong. I will maybe share this story later on. Um, not quite ready to divulge this publicly, but yeah, it was like it's TikTok has kind of sent me into an existential crisis. Oh wow! Because the algorithm is too strong. It's too good. It's not, it knows you now. Yeah, it's like holding up a mirror, and you're like, no, I'm not. What? Wait, what? Okay, which. There's a there's an entire TikTok meme that's kind of about that, and I'm like, now I only think in TikTok memes. Is it serving I'm cool. you? Gen Z, yeah. <laughs> wow. Also joining us, professional culture editor Han Win. Hey Han. Hey. Happy. It's a, uh, happy. <laughs> you sound A-pom. like you're back at TCA. Look, I think it's much worse for you two right now um, because I remember uh, one of one of my. I don't even know how to call her. The producer of the talk show for uh, Salon was like, so what do I need to do for APOM? Like, or AAPI? What, like, what do you even call it? And I was like, it doesn't matter. And then um, and then she was like, so we should do some stuff, right? And I'm like, look, every day being me is you know, <laughs> is celebrating Asianness. So I was like, we bring that to Salon's coverage whenever we can. And then, but we also, you know, balance it with other coverage. So I was like, if you want to do something special, you can, but we, I don't think you need to go out of your way. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah totally. Like pour one out or, or, or cheers, kudos, whatever. Um, props to all of those only Asian persons in your organizations who now have to bear the entire responsibility <laughs> For Asian-related programming in your companies, organizations, yeah. clubs, um, yeah, good luck. I did that. I did that at the very beginning when I was at Salon. I was like, oh, I guess I got to write this piece. Oh, I guess I got to write this. And then after a while, I was like, <laughs> I can't. I can't represent. And also, you know, we're not a monolith, so I can't write about everything. So, um, I, ha- being able to hire freelancers has been very helpful. 
Well, for this episode of Good Pop, we're talking all about the new Netflix series Shadow and Bone. Uh, but before we get to that, let's find out what Good Pop's beginning us through the week. Uh, Jess, what's popping? The only additional pop I have been able to consume, sorry, I'm stepping on your toes a little bit, is Top <laughs> Chef. So we're gonna do the Go Asians now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I made that. I made the specific time to carve out to watch Top Chef. Otherwise, I'm like in some kind of meeting or like just working or like I have to read I I signed up to moderate this thing and I have to read like three books by like next week I fucked up guys (laughs) I mean I love books but you know like it's not as fun when you have to read them on Mm -hmm. the deadline Mm -hmm. so love Top Chef you know it was like a mixed bag for our Asian crew this um this week spoiler alert one of them got kicked off i'm not yeah. gonna lie she's getting a little bit too much and i was like mm, this might be time to go girl if jess says she's too much come on you did not like I'll the just... top chef um fan favorite favorite jamie sound machine. is she a fan favorite favorite like there's like being funny i mean were we laughing with her or at her my my thing was that they just didn't balance it because i have a feeling there were just plenty of normal like her being sweet moments and because they're editing it together they're gonna just take all the like you know type stuff um because it's more interesting (laughs) for tv and that becomes overwhelming as a personality so on the other hand though they've toned down uh focusing on Shota's laugh for the last few episodes because he's been laughing a lot less often yeah and you know he's still laughing i was really sad when he was like the darkest thing i could think is something happening to my dog i was like yeah i was just like you don't need you don't need to reach that deep for these types of things and then also express it so very literally (laughs) yeah so this week was a drive-in catering challenge where all the chefs were assigned certain genres and they were went head to head with each other. And yeah, it was Shoda's... kind of a weird challenge. Like, what does a, yeah, like, what is a dramatic? It was weird. Um, I think like some challenges definitely inspire chefs kind of to greatness. I don't think this was one of those challenges. Well, we lost one Asian, but we still have two left. Avishar did pretty well with his s'more. And then um, Shoda was on the bottom, but uh, lives on for another week. So we we're still spared. have, we're still, yes. still two for three. So, okay, we got, come on, we can do this. We can do this. <laughs> All right. Han, what's popping with you? All right. So I kind of did a flex, but it's also just because I was doing my job. So um. your job is just constant flexing on this. Yeah, That's basically. True. So I watched, um, there's a series on Netflix called Jupiter's Legacy. It will be out by the time this uh, podcast comes out. Um, so basically, it's out Friday, May 7th. Um, it is a limited series, comic book series from Mark uh, Miller, uh, or Millar. He had written like Civil War, which was the basis of uh, Captain America Civil War. And then he also had uh, wrote the Wolverine that was the basis of Logan. Um, he's also written Kick-Ass, Kingsman, you know, stuff. So, you know, he's he's legit. He But his um, contract with Marvel, you know, expired, or at least it was up. So now he's doing all of his own universe of comics. So it's a Millar world or Miller world. Um, anyway, so this series, Jupiter's Legacy, is a limited series that he had done previously and he had been talking about doing it as a series of films, but instead it is a limited series and possibly just a season one. 
Um, I don't want to give anything away, but you know how comic books always are. There's always an opportunity for more storytelling. And I won't tell you how it ends, but it's a bizarre kind of thing because in some ways it feels very retro. Um, the main storyline is that there were some sort of like six superheroes that all of a sudden in the 1930s became superheroes. It was like Americans who became superheroes and they were endowed with these powers. And then they seem to be incredibly long lived. Um, and then they also have kids who are now um, in their like 20s or 30s. But they're like, so the lead superhero is played by Josh Demel. And Ooh, so you what? see, so you see him in the 1929, right before the stock market crashes. That's not a big spoiler. And so he's just a, like clean cut looking guy in a dapper suit and all this other stuff. And then, um, and then now in the present, he's like, he looks like Zeus. Literally his hair is long. He <laughs> <laughs> just, it, it's crazy. He has a full beard. Um, we also see him in a middle age uh, where he basically, his kids are kids at that point so we see him kind of with like an in-between beard which is kind of what we think of now as sort of like lumber sexual i guess wait so is um, it different time periods yes so it goes back and forth in different time periods but mainly it's the present is kind of our present and alternate you know present but then the flashback to the 1929 era shows their sort of origin story of these six superheroes and then how they got their powers but it's uh woven throughout the eight episodes so the present problems are interesting because you know basically the superhero you know union that they created have this code of do not kill no matter how bad the villain is you do not kill because the thing is we have all these superpowers and you know if we kill then we're basically kind of like being vigilantes we're we are not the you know, we just kind of keep things in check, but we don't actually police things. And um, but then, of course, it gets to the point where people are like, well, we can kill sometimes. Right. Like when they deserve it. <laughs> so it's a little bit as a treat. <laughs> yeah. Like how what about self-defense? You know, it's like there are always other ways. But anyway, so the, that sort of through line is pretty heavily present. This is not a subtle series, but um, I don't think it's supposed to be because when I was looking at some of the notes as far as like the origins of this comic book series, words like uh, Hamlet and Wagner were thrown around. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very much about like families and backstabbing and sort of angst and, you know, um, it's so it's the thing is, it's not as ambitious in some ways as let's say Falcon and Winter Soldier they tried to do so many like stories and um, themes and stuff like that and it kind of didn't land whereas this one I have to say since it's very tight much tighter I do appreciate the fact that every episode is an episode it actually has a very tight you know like storytelling um, it's focused on only a few characters at a time in that episode and it comes to a very good conclusion that feels like, yes, that is d done. Like, yes, I want to watch the second episode, but at the same time, I'm okay stopping it here because I feel like it did gave me something. So that, that's a lot to tell you. Like, when it comes to Falcon and Winter Soldier, I just felt like they didn't know what to do with the, the end of each episode. So they're just like, oh, we'll, we'll add a little <laughs> surprise here, you know? <laughs> so Well, that's the Marvel thing, right? It's cliffhangers. Yeah, and it's not even just cliffhangers, though. Like, I think there's a way to do a, a full episode. This is why people... Hello, movies are not TV shows. Um, TV shows are not 10-hour movies. There's a difference. <laughs> um, 
Do you want to tell them that or should I? <laughs> <laughs> I, I every single time someone says that, I'm just like, roll I'm my just, eyes. let me tell you, I miss like a 90 minute movie so much. When I see a movie is 90 minutes now, I'm like, yeah. thank you. It's We're going to have a good time. Yeah. I was, I was surprised that uh, Nomadland was shorter than I expected. But anyway, um, <laughs> so going back to Jupiter's Legacy, there is a cheesiness level to it, besides the fact that it takes itself very seriously and is very Wagnerian. But um, there's so many wigs. There's so many wigs and there's so much old person makeup. So you're going to like, it's kind of cheesy, but I ended up enjoying parts of it. Um, it, it. I think it's very well produced and shot well. Uh, maybe not the most advanced as far as storytelling goes, as far as like social consciousness, but it, it, it tried. Um, anyway, so that's what I was watching. So um, this being an Asian American entertainment podcast i have to ask how meaty <laughs> is the anaconda role in this i cannot talk about her role oh. because she has an important role but i really can't talk about it so okay. yeah i would just say you know maybe once you watch it then we can talk about it but i since this is literally probably the first time people hear about this is when it's actually premiering i don't want to bring it up all right i'll see you on the spoiler slack then yeah, yes exactly <laughs> anyway so uh what's popping with you marvin well, like Jess, I haven't had a chance to watch anything new lately, but I wanted to talk about um, an anime series that I've been following this season. Um, I know I've mentioned it before, but um, it's called 86. It's a mecha anime that, in addition to having dope robot fights, um, also touches on a lot of deep themes like oppression, racism, discrimination. And they just had a really great episode this past week that focuses on one of the main characters dealing with um, coming to terms with her own privilege after being called out for her performative allyship by her subordinates. And I just thought it was just really effective. And I haven't really seen many um, Japanese anime specifically deal with these themes with nuance. A lot of times in anime, um, characters overcome hardships through the power of friendship or through the power of persistence. And it was kind of refreshing to see um, a character really reflect on what it means to be a member of a privileged class. And it was really interesting to see how the show takes on these themes, um, especially in contrast to um, Shadow and Bone, which we'll talk about later. The show is also just really, really well produced. Um, if I were to compare it to like Western standards, it would probably be like the equivalent of the season's prestige show. You can see a lot of work that went into not only the visuals, but also the cinematography, the direction, the music. Um, and it's probably a show that I can confidently um, recommend to friends who might not be into anime uh, because it's really well made and it's trying to say something. And also really cool robot fights. Of course, the show doesn't completely escape from its anime um, roots. There are still some tropes, but they're used in interesting ways to support the themes instead of just being there as fan service. So yeah, check it out. It's streaming exclusively on Crunchyroll right now, so you can follow along or wait till the end of the season in late June and binge the whole thing. And with that, um, that'll do it for this week's edition of What's Poppin'. Uh, when we come back from the break, we're talking all about the new Netflix series, Shadow and Bone. Stick around. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. We're here this week to talk about Shadow and Bone, a new Netflix fantasy series based on the Grishaverse novels by Leigh Bardugo, taking place in the kingdom of Ravka, an Imperial Russia-based fantasy kingdom, which is bisected by a wall of shadow called the Fold, which is infested by dangerous monsters. Uh, the show follows Alina Starkov, played by Jesse May Lee, a military cartographer who discovers that she's a wizard dun, dun, um, dun. who can summon the power of the sun and may or may not be the prophesied sun summoner who is destined to destroy the fold and save the world. Um, so, yeah, what did we think of Shadow and Bone? And Han, as a book reader, we'll go, we'll go to you last because I think you have a lot to say about it. But <laughs> yes. uh, Jess, what did you think of Shadow and Bone? You know... I think I'm on some like weird dumb bitch juice or something because usually this would be my shit, but I did not get anything that was going on, guys. Um, maybe my bad for trying to do like, okay, the way I watch TV is terrible. Like I do a million other things while I watch TV and I'm just like, what the fuck is happening in this first episode? Like what is, <laughs> there's so much exposition. Mm-hmm. I'm like, who, what? But see, the thing is, everyone's hot. So I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll keep watching. And I still honestly don't get most of it. I think I was just like, it's, you know, especially with these world building things, it's not even like a Game of Thrones where I came to it a little later. So like, I knew a sense of like what the world was, who the houses were. Um, and then I started watching, so like I didn't really have to like learn everything. This is like I went totally blind. I've not read the books, um, and I'm just like I, I don't get what's <laughs> who are these people. But like everyone's hot and like obviously like kind of Asian. Like there's like half the cast is Asian and hot. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna keep watching. That like Mal is really hot. Like he's just like very tall and like big. He's a big boy, and we like that. Yeah, we really like he's that. He's big but and soft, right? He's big and he's he's big <laughs> physically, but like his heart soft. And that's like a perfect combo. That's what we want. I mean, to and I do give credit. I don't know how close it is to the books, but like there's a lot of discourse about like male love interest characters written by women are always <laughs> going to be hotter because we actually know what we want. <laughs> um and okay, there's a, here's another weird thing I had to get over. I didn't realize that like Jesse May Lee, who is you know playing Alina, the main character, was like 25 um, in real life. Like she's like 24, 25 in my head. For some reason, I thought the characters were all much younger, like 17. I, they may have aged them up for the TV show. So when I was like seeing all the horny discourse, <laughs> a lot of it coming from our good friend Laura. Shouts to Laura, 
who's also a big Ben Barnes stan, as am I. And I'm like, I know Ben Barnes is like in his 40s now. And like, is he? So I was very confused about that. And then I was like, okay, they're not that young. So like, there's a lot of, like, I I both had no, absolutely zero knowledge about this world and also had preconceived notions of this world. <laughs> I don't know how that simultaneously is true. So I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I honestly don't know if I like it. I think it's a little too much brain power for me right now, but I like I'm watching it because everyone's really hot and it's like cool production values. But there was a lot in that first episode. Like, here we are. I write maps. I do love a good map, though. So, you know, props to that. This is the boat. It is fast. (laughs) We need to take boats across. Oh, no. No boat, no go cross. You go around. I'm just like, I don't know if you deal with the fuck is happening. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, as a consumer of the science fiction fantasy genre, I kind of felt that it did a lot more showing than telling in the beginning. Like there wasn't there was a lot of exposition, but it wasn't like a narrator saying, This is the land of Ravka, right? Um, which I did appreciate, but I think if you're like half watching, it's gonna like zoom by your head right yeah i didn't realize there were like multiple worlds like we're going like we're we're exploring (laughs) both sides of the fold right yeah and and how like the access through the like i eventually got it like access through the fold is kind of where the power lies um yeah i kind of would have liked i mean i I feel like it would have been like i know people really hate voiceover and i do too to an extent but (laughs) i was like i would have liked a condensed five minute little story about what the fuck is happening (laughs) Like, I don't know who these army people are. Like, what's the relation? What's the status? Like, which army is better than the other? Like, what's the role of the army in this world? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm not a reader of the Grisha first novel, so I have no knowledge of the world coming in, except that it's like based on like Imperial Russia. But I think and this will go into our later conversation on like the um, way that this show approaches or handles race is. There's really no context to what the war is, like who are they fighting? Like what is all we know is okay, there's this scary ass fold <laughs> in the middle of this country that is basically a no man's land that creates this like rift in the country and basically all of the conflict is between how to either traverse the fold or to get rid of it, which is um where Alina comes in. Um I think overall I thought it was a pretty good white dark like fantasy story. I liked how, you know, there was some romance in it, but it wasn't like it wasn't all about like these two people want to smash and they spend their whole entire <laughs> time thinking about each other and like miscommunications. There are two characters who want to smash. They stare longingly at each other mutually. Like there's a mutual attraction, but the story is less about them trying to be together and it's more about them dealing with their situations, which I did appreciate. Maybe that's there lies the issue that we want different things because I would have liked more Smash. I mean, Mal, I will say Mal and Alina have very, very lovely chemistry. I, a lot, mm-hmm. The whole cast has very good chemistry. I mean, like, it's which is like, you know, even in, in the kind of density of world building exposition, like, I got that. Like, I was like, oh, they obviously have the hots for each other. Like, that is very clear to me. So, like, props to casting and the actors. Um, Although they are childhood like, friends, I, I, so the odds are stacked against them, I think. 
I mean, that's one of the best tropes, Marvin. <laughs> if it's not enemies to lover, it's childhood friends to lovers. Okay. <laughs> um, and I just, I'm just like, oh, I would have liked more because maybe I'm just that's where my my head's at. I'm like, I just want more love <laughs> and less flying monsters eating. <laughs> maybe um there was also a enemies to lover storyline which is the tertiary storyline um that i didn't it didn't really do anything for me but what i did like was there is also the secondary storyline involving i guess you could call them a crime crew uh, from the other side of the fold that's like a group of rogues um led by what's his name brecker kaz brecker yeah um played by um what i called him not burn gorman and that crew, I actually really enjoyed that side of the story a lot more than the Chosen One storyline of the, the the primary story, um, only because I think heist storylines are always just more fun. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, yeah, Han, you are coming in as a reader of the Grishaverse novels. Uh, what did you think of Shadow and Bone? Okay, so I understand exactly where you're coming from, Jess, because so Shadow and Bone. Um, that's the name of the first book, and that's the name of the first book in a trilogy, which is all about the chosen one. So it's Alina's story with Mal and and this person that they name in the show General Kerrigan, but he's the Darkling. Um, and so I remember reading it because I had heard so much about it and thinking, well, it's all right. Like it's a it's a chosen one story. So I, and then because it was a trilogy, they had to find all these different ways to keep her. Uh, Alina and Mal like together and apart and together and apart so it mm-hmm. got really frustrating to me so I was like wanting to throw the book and then I got to the second series which is the duology right after it and that's Six of Crows and that's all about the Crows which are uh, Kaz Brecker's crew because he runs the uh, the uh, gambling den you know uh, the Crow's Nest or whatever it's called so all of his people are named Crows and he if you see the top of his little cane it's a crow um oh. yeah and i think they mentioned a little bit in the series where it's like he named uh it crows because crows are very smart and they never forget a face um so that if you did him wrong he'll remember but also if you did him right he'll remember <laughs> so um anyway so that duology is totally different even though it's set in the same world but across the fold um, because it's kind of like a little island where it's like everyone's a criminal. Like it's all brothels. It's all like gambling dens. Everyone's like you can't, you know, there's gangs. The crows are a gang and so is someone else. Um, and then they have to pull off this massive heist. So the thing is, though, we haven't actually gotten to that heist in the TV show. Instead, what they did was they wrote a prequel and they stuck it into the series, this TV series. So these are characters that we um, don't necessarily meet until later. Um, but they now we're meeting them in kind of like an earlier part of their lives. And I think that's one of the reasons why, like, some of it I liked and some of it I didn't like. But um, so there, there's already two stories that are squashed together. <laughs> um, and then when it comes to the tertiary story, that was a story that was told only in flashback in, in the duology. So now they are actually showing it in present time. And so, yeah, so there's three different stories. None of them were really told at the same time. Um, and the, the crows, the uh, criminals, were, this story that we got here was all new. Um, so I think 
they did a good job as far as trying to create sort of like mini heists that are hopefully leading up to season two heist. Um, they have not announced season two, but we're all assuming. Um, and then I agree as far as like there wasn't enough exposition because the deal with the magic is that it's not supposed to be magic. They call it the small science because it's somehow they are able to manipulate the matter and molecules and things like that in the world. And um, so when it's called the sun summoner, she literally is using like sun and, and whatever stuff around her. Um, but uh, it's magic, whatever. <laughs> That's what I, but there's also different types of magic. So you t- hear about the squalor and then Fernie and the tailor and the, uh, and the uh, heart render and stuff like that. But you don't quite know what they do on the TV show, whereas they kind of break it down better in the book, because the one thing you get in fantasy books is number one, you get a map. Um, so you can situate yourself and you can see where other things are going on. Um, and that's where I think Game of Thrones was kind of brilliant because their um, opening sequence was a map. <laughs> and then um, and then the other thing you get in fantasy books is usually some sort of like uh, sort of guide. So this one was the guide to all of the Grisha. So all the different types of, you know, small science magician people. And that was definitely missing. Like you can tell like by their colors, what they're wearing, what they're supposed to be able to do, but not on the show because you have no clue what's going on. Um, but uh, so there's that. I do have to say I was you are right. They in the books, they're about 17 years old. Um, they aged them up for the show, which I'm totally fine with. And it makes sense, especially for casting. Yeah. Doesn't matter, though, because Ben Barnes is still hundreds of years old. <laughs> You know? Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, like, but like, it's, it's okay. It's also like you know, Asian doll raisin. So like, yeah. Jessie Maylie could play seventeen. That's the thing. Like yeah. she, you know, especially with Hollywood things. And I'm just like, it's fine. We all went through the Twilight thing, you know. We get yeah. the whole yeah. centuries old thing. I mean, we just assume maybe there's some arrested development as far as maturity. I mean, um, he's a man, so it's not yes. like they progress any further than like <laughs> yeah. what, like. 15 Marvin so so yeah so in the books um I did say that squicked me out because she was 17 um and she everyone is 17 even Kaz Brecker was 17 and he was like running the whole operation it didn't make any sense to me but um (laughs) on the show I'm I'm glad that they feel in their 20s um and I also have to say that the romance definitely is less angsty on the show I think it made it feel more made for each other which i really enjoyed like we were talking about the chemistry so i think they did a really good job there with the casting and the chemistry it's very sweet yes um, without it being overly like saccharine and um i just hope they don't like ruin it for the next next season if they have to like break them up apart i hate those like makes no sense all of a sudden they're like enemies just because someone like looked wrong or whatever so um, i mean it is based on like ya fantasy right so yes, that's kind of par for the course that, yeah so i'm just i'm just hoping not but um what i'm also really happy about is uh the probably my two favorite characters are jesper and inej and jesper is the uh sharpshooter he was crows. pretty good he was hilarious and they did a really good job giving him like character and one-liners but also like wonderful opportunities to really show off like that actor if he didn't know how to spin a, a gun before this i was just like he <laughs> learned he did a fantastic job and i think Inej, um she's the one who's basically like an acrobat slash you know a uh, cat burglar um 
her casting, of course, she's gorgeous, but also just like I, I liked it because in the books, maybe she was a little bit too grim. But here she got a few, you know, like jokes in with uh, Jesper. That was an interesting uh, dy- dynamic I really enjoyed. So, yeah, I was happy with them. Yeah. Um, as a book reader, um, how successful was this adaptation for you? Um, I am. I'm pretty pro adaptations. Like if you need to take some license, I'm OK with that as long as it's done well. So <laughs> like I was saying, I like that they try to give these characters uh as far as the crows um a prequel story that gave you a little bit of an end to them i think that they didn't do much as far as like so i like kaz brecker in the book better than i did in the series the tv series and i think that they just didn't really give you enough like he is so angsty in the book like i loved him he was fantastic super broody um and then like the chemistry with him and Inej I think in the books was like fantastic and here it's okay um so I think that they maybe just were focused on giving them some mini heists which I'm fine with also um but I do think the balancing of everything was not that great and definitely didn't give enough exposition um in the right way perhaps um information dump doesn't not you know, always happen the right way. Um, yeah, I mean, and that kind of brings us to our next topic, which, you know, we kind of have to talk about it because we're Asians and this show... Wait, we are? <laughs> we are, right? Aren't we? Uh, how, are we? How would we know unless someone calls us some epithet? <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> I mean, so this show... I remember before the show released, um, they went on a big PR tour saying... Shadow and Bone is going to be a win for diversity because we casted a Asian as the main character and it's going to be like representation. And then after the show released, I started noticing on book Twitter, especially Asian book Twitter, people were like, eh, the execution is not good. Because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Hong, but in the original book, Alina Starkoff is not half shoe, right? She's not half Asian. Right. The whole trilogy of Shadow and Bone, everyone is basically Russian white-esque. So there, it was kind of a, it was race bending, basically, for the TV series. Yeah. So for the TV series, they casted Jesse Maylee. Um, and then so they decided to make the character of Alina half Shu, meaning um, basically half Chinese, right? There's a country called Shu Han in which um, Rafka is at war with um, Shu Han based on the country from the Romance of the Three Kingdoms. So in my head canon, this is an alternate history Earth where Liu Bei defeated Cao Cao's um, scheming and, and restored the Han Dynasty, right? This is like in my head canon, right? Um, sure, Marvin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, the, the, the Han Dynasty, that guy. <laughs> but so fantasy Russia is at war with fantasy China. And so because of that, Alina as half shoe is constantly bombarded with racial slurs and microaggressions and just constant um, suspicion. And, and the handling of that was what really turned a lot of people off, especially people from literary, like Asian lit Twitter, right? Because by all accounts, the author Leigh Bardugo is not bad, right? I mean, the decision to make Alina half shoe, half Asian isn't like a bad decision on his face, but the execution of it, like the race bending of the character without the, I guess, subsequent world bending that it requires in the world building 
really made it like seem a little like unbalanced, right? I mean, I think the idea is if you if you're gonna make this person, you know, so okay, you you can take it two ways. One that because there are other people who are brown and Asian and other non-white characters on the TV show, and they are not treated any differently from any of the other characters. She is literally the only one who is being shat upon, you know? Um, <laughs> That's true. It's and a little, it's, and it's, it's bizarre. Little, yeah. So 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 maybe maybe the way you think of it is like, oh, this fantasy world doesn't have like white supremacy the way we know it. They just don't like the Shu Han because they're at war with them. But guess what? They're also at war with the Fjordans who are like up north. And they're, well, in the books, they're like blonde hair, blue eyed people. They're like the Nordic, TV right? They're like Scandinavian. Yeah. That's yeah. And on the TV show, I guess they just wear more furs. I can't tell. <laughs> um, but yeah, and you're just like, no, that doesn't wash though, because if they literally only care about her because like they're at war with her, uh, her people, then like, what about the Fjordans? Like, how can they they just not? You know, are they gonna dis- dismiss anyone who's blonde hair, blue eyed? No. But also, like the combat master, like she gets to learn martial arts. Well, kind of from is Shuhan and there's like zero discussion of him or treatment of him um it's there are other characters that are in the books that will come later who are Shu and um and and it's discussed about like how they had to like leave their country for various reasons um but yeah for just her to get this treatment is bizarre yeah it's really weird like because like you said this is a fantasy world it's a fantasy russia with people who are who look there there are a ton of dark-skinned people in this story her love interest mal is like i don't know if he's mixed race in the story but he's played by like a a mixed race like half indian half like (laughs) british person right you have um jesper who is um black you have like inej who is who's also indian and yeah. the only person being racismed is Alina for some reason. Yeah, and then it's weird because it's all just I mean, yes, race a lot of racism is based in physical attributes and discrimination, but like because in the story, because they race bent her and cast, you know, a mixed race biracial actor who plays a biracial character, I believe like one parent is Shu and one parent is like from Revka. But, like, she's an orphan, so there's no, like, parental connection, so we don't even get to really dive into, like, a actual, like, cultural, like, other aspects of, like, what it means to mm-hmm. be mixed, right? Like, I feel like that, unless they're gonna retcon- do something, like, she, I don't, like, to my understanding, she doesn't really have, like, a connection to shoe, her shoe side or her shoe culture, it's just that she looks shoe aka asia which is like right now it's also really funny i was like man like we don't even get to escape racism in this <laughs> in the movie but but i yeah i i think it's bizarre because also there has to be some other orphan who's like half somewhere you know like she can't be the only one and then also when you come to these like little scenes where let's say the guy at the lunch line doesn't want to you know serve her and then um and then I think uh, Mao says something and and they're just like, well, look at her. And I'm just like, but Mao looks kind of, I don't want to say related to her because they're not. And they're different types of Asians, the mix. But at the same time, I'm like, but you clearly see he, him, right? He's not exactly white like you are. And I was just like, this is so weird. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and it, understanding racism, representation, diversity, it's not 
a it's not like a black or white thing, right? It's like it's a spectrum and people learn at different phases. And it seems like racism in this world is in that like comes from someone who understands racism as, oh, bad things people say to each other and not like the institutionalization of like discrimination. And I don't know, it just felt like, okay, we're making this character part Asian or part Shu. So obviously people are going to hate her for that. Let's add in lines to show that people don't like her. But then the discussion didn't go anywhere from there. And like, I don't know if it's because of the lack of world building where we don't get the context of like, because Chu Han never as a country or as like a, a, a foe never appears in the story besides the fact that, oh, we're, that's the country we're at war with. So I don't know if it's just a lack of world building or just lazy writing, right? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, Incomplete writing. Um, we we've encountered this a little bit before when it comes uh, comes to adaptations. So Bridgerton also race bent um, many of their characters, and they decided to sort of write it into their world, uh, saying that the queen, because she uh, is black in the TV show, um, and historically people, some people think that she was actually partly African of African descent. Um, so they decided that that would mean that she had the power to uplift other people of color into the nobility, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there Pure were so fantasy. many other Pure inconsistencies. Fantasy. Yeah. Which is totally fine if they just like, if there was no other things going on, but there were definitely inconsistencies as far as like, which, you know, colorism and like, which people got to be, you know, uh, the nobility or the ones who were, offered but yeah so anyway who got to be the heroes and so th- there is there is that like the one step into like yeah inclusion but that's not taking it fully that's not exploring it fully and that's where it's kind of like uh it would have been easier if you just cast it how you wanted it but didn't explain <clears throat> it because in that way you know then everything would be like i guess inconsistently consistent <laughs> you know yeah I think there's just something about the fact that people just can't help reminding her that she's shoe. You're Asian. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and I point this out because like we just saw, like if you watch this also on Netflix, it's a YA series called the regulars, which is basically the sort of Sherlock Holmes um, gang that was helping him, the Baker street, the regulars. But the main character is played by someone who is of Chinese descent. And, um, and everyone else is also like race spent, like um, Watson is black. But there's literally, I cannot remember, and I watched the whole series, any discussion of race um, on the TV show. And so you're kind of just like, I don't know what's going on, but okay. <laughs> you know. But at least we didn't have those weird inconsistent moments. We're just like, why is someone being, you know, like racism upon? Yeah, I feel like, you know, obviously casting... Jesse Maley as Alina was a conscious decision um, that had the blessing of the author and, you know, could fit in this world, but it's just the writing didn't adapt to it. It was more, it felt like it was, oh, since she's Asian, we should add some racism to to the story, <laughs> which... I also just think, you know, like maybe it's like Occam's Razor, like simplest, simplest answer is the right answer. Like, they just had too much shit to put in in the yeah. first place. Like it's only eight episodes. I mean, it's a Netflix show. It's it's a fairly yeah. short order, and like you know, they're like, oh shit, we ran out of time. Just like to explain the race, how racism works in this world. Just just 
throw some slurs in there. <laughs> Let her have people be mean to her. Yeah. But that's I, also wild because this writer's room is pretty diverse, right? They have like people of like mixed background in the writer's room where and just always talks about politics and structures of power within writers' rooms. Like people who might have the right perspective aren't always heard. Like I don't want to speculate on what went on in this writer's room, but it does like whenever I see a diverse writer's room, but these mistakes still being made, and I don't know. It feels yeah. bad. I, I mean, I think there were also a couple other things to navigate. Like, number one, like in the books, Alina is also hated upon. Like people really hate her. Um and Mal is like the golden boy and everyone loves him and is like super attracted to him. Um, but but she's also kind of hated upon because she's sort of like a bad personality and kind of like supposedly Ooh. not a, that attractive. And so I guess here they made it just about her race, why <laughs> she was disliked. And I was like, that still doesn't fly. So that's where I'm kind of like, I don't get it. So th- this is definitely the writer's room kind of like not translating like this idea very well. And then the other thing I have to say is because uh, Lee Bardugo in the duology, like Six of Crows one, the heist one, um, she actually did cast her characters. So Jesper is black and gay in her book. And Inej is Indian or Suli, the way they, uh, they name it in the book. So that they didn't have to race bend those characters on the TV show. And maybe that's why they didn't bother like, thinking about their race which again doesn't work if you have you think about one other person's race so yeah i i was just like i i see that they were working with far too many things and i was just like it didn't quite gel yeah one other thing that i have to kind of nitpick on is um i did enjoy <laughs> that this took place in a non-british inspired fantasy world but then at the same time, all the characters are still British. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's what that's the only thing our little pea brains can understand, Marvin. Is fantasy. Old timey means British. <laughs> yeah. Basically, from the Lord of the Ringsy sort of, you know, tradition, everything that's fantasy is British. <laughs> so. Yeah. Blame token. <laughs> well, to wrap up our discussion of Shadow and Bone, we gotta ask, is Shadow and Bone good pop? You know, at the end of the day, it's a bunch of hot, talented people of color being the number one show on Netflix. So I think this is a W. <laughs> I'm going to take the dub in 2021. I'll take all the dubs I can get. I, and I say I will allow it. I love YA fantasy. <laughs> and uh, and I really, you know what, on the strength of my favorite two characters, Jesper and Inej, I'm just waiting to see more from them. So I'm hoping there's more. But for now, I'm just like, I'm very happy with those at it, you know, those characters. I think I have a provisional, not quite a no, but maybe. I think there's been a lot of discourse about the way they handle racism. And I think by all accounts, Leigh Bardugo is someone who wants to do better or has the capacity to do better. I mean, like you said, she did make a lot of her main characters in the subsequent books of the Grishaverse, People of Color. Um, and it definitely feels like the show wants to be that type of show. So, you know, hopefully if they, I guess, quote unquote, fix the problems in season two, it does have the potential to be a solid yes. Um, because it is kind of sad that a, you know, it's a very competently made dark fantasy romance YA show. But this is one flaw that it's kind of hard to ignore, especially as an Asian who lives in America. Right. So 
Um, yeah, I'm going to give a provisional, a provisional maybe, not a solid no. <laughs> this is where the listicle comes in, like seven ways to fix Shadow and Bone before <laughs> season two. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, Shadow and Bone is available to stream on Netflix now. It is the number one show on Netflix. So you've probably seen it featured on the banner of when you log in. So it's kind of hard to miss. Um, let us know what you think about Shadow and Bone or our discussion of it. You can engage with us on Twitter at Good Pop Club. Uh, Jess Han, if people want to follow you guys on Twitter, where can they go? I'm on Twitter at Jess Jude Tweets. And I am at Anonymous. And you can find me on Twitter at Marvin Yue. Uh, thanks again for listening to the Good Pop Culture Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, an amazing collective of Asian-hosted podcasts. You can check out our fellow Potluck pods by going to podcastpotluck.com. Next week on the Good Pop Culture Club, we're talking all about the new CW series, Kung Fu. But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Seven years. Has, has it been that long? Uh huh. Oh. Uh, I was on a fishing boat. Training. It's part of the plan. Pla- what training? What plan? The, 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 the third season of the Korean Drama Podcast! Okay, we're doing this again? Okay, but there's no body switching in this one, right? No! The only thing we're switching is the fact that we're gonna watch a good drama this time. From 2020, called Itaewon Class! A story about starting a restaurant and a dish that Koreans love called revenge. I thought you were gonna say kimchi jjigae. I thought you were gonna say juke. Those two. Koreans love those two. Listen to the Korean Drama Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.